Isn't the point of traveling to get away from it all, to feel the best you've ever felt? Then maybe you should check out Aruba. You'll spend your time relaxing on cool white sandy beaches and floating in healing blue water. You'll meet locals brimming with gratitude for an island that redefines what a paradise can be. When your trip comes to an end, you won't need another vacation because you just had the vacation. That's the Aruba effect. Plan your trip at aruba.com. I am a thief. I have stolen $150,000 in diamonds from my employer's firm. Last night, I left New York in a second-hand car, the jewelry in a steel box locked in the trunk. The theft will be discovered this morning. In a few minutes, I'll reach the place where I'll hide on this deserted main coast. Then I will take the cut stones out of the settings and put them with the other unmounted stones. And in a few days, I'll leave for Mexico. There, I will sell the stones to an agent I have contacted. And then I will go on to South America. My name now is Andrew Burt. I have identification cards and a passport to prove it. They were very expensive, but I will be very rich. And the police will be looking for a man named Joseph Dunlop, who has vanished from New York. It'll be dawn soon. And as the narrow back road winds closer to the sea, I can feel the wind rising against the car. The fog is moving in and the headlights bounce back from it. I can't slow down. I have to reach my hideout before dawn. And suddenly I saw... An old woman standing in the middle of the road waving a flashlight. I'm almost to the house, almost safe, and now this. What is it? What's wrong? Oh, uh, I'm so sorry. But have you run into a tree branch or, or anything along the road? Uh, no, 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 I haven't. Oh, oh, well, good. Then it must be farther along. Do you mind? Before I could answer, the woman yanked open the door and popped in beside me. Could be quite dangerous, you know. Well, Something like that lying on the road. You drive very slowly. I'm sure we'll come to it. She was a short, skinny little woman. She wore a heavy coat and a thick scarf tied around her head. I suppose I should introduce myself. I'm Mrs. Poe. I live just over that ride. Oh, well, you can't see it, Miss Fogg. What's all this about a, a tree branch? I can't hear you very well. Just a moment and I'll take off my scarf. Always wear it when it's windy. There, now. What did you say? Well, what about it? A tree branch? I'm not so sure it is a tree branch. It's just something large and solid. If a car ran into it, there could be an accident. You drive slowly now. We'll find it. Well, how do you know it's there if, if you don't know where it is? I, I don't think oh, I... Oh, thought... I must explain... I saw this big thing lying in the road, and I got out of bed and came out to find it. Now, when we move it off the road, I'll go right on back to bed. It's much too early to be up. When did you see it? This time I was sound asleep. I woke with a start, and I saw it right before my eyes. Second sight, young man. I have second sight. I see things before they happen. Look! I could see it through the fog. A large, gnarled tree branch lying across the road. Second sight. I, I didn't believe her, and yet there it was. Oh, I am right. I am. Oh, that's very gratifying. Can you manage it? Drag it off to the ditch. Will my light help? She turned on a big square flashlight and aimed it at the trees along the road. See up there? A fresh break on that big elm. Oh, how exciting. 
looking at this strange little woman. I wanted to get back in the car and get away from her and from the wind and fog, but I, I couldn't. The tree branch was blocking the road. How did she know about it? She could be a local character making a fool out of me, but why on this back road before dawn? I got hold of one end of the limb and dragged it into the ditch. Now, couldn't a thing like that wreck a car? Oh, yes, yes, it could. I'm so glad you came along. I couldn't have managed it alone. No, I don't suppose you could. Odd that you should come along. I wondered who it would be. Everything's planned for us, you know. There's no coincidence. You're driving far. I noticed all those groceries in the back seat of your car. I could tell her I was going north, but my house was too near, and she was old. She couldn't have walked far. She must live near my house. I had to tell her the truth. I'm, uh, I'm just driving on to my house. It's near here. Where? Well, I, I've got a map in the glove compartment. I'm not sure just where. It's your house, and you don't know where it is. It, it was left to me two years ago. It's, it's been rented until recently. This side of the village, there are only two houses. Mine and that old place on the cliff. Well, that must be my house. Such a lonely place for a young man to want to live. I knew it was vacant, though. Watched those renters move out last week. And to tell you the truth, I wasn't sorry to see them go. They weren't very friendly folks. Oh, it's, it's too bad. Mrs. Uh, Poe, is it? Poe, Poe. P-O-E. Who are you? My name's Andrew Burt. Oh. Hmm? But was anything wrong, Mrs. Poe? Oh, no. Just that I have feelings about people, Mr. Burt. And you... Oh, I mustn't keep you any longer. Your road is just around the bed, and there's a footpath behind us. I go that way. We're neighbors, you and I. I watched Mrs. Poe start down the road, tying her heavy scarf around her head. Then she was gone, swallowed up by the fog. Around the next bend, I saw the turnoff to my house. My driveway was a narrow, rutted road that wound up a sharp grade to a bluff above. As I drove over the top of the hill, I felt the cold wind from the sea rush against the car. It almost seemed to be pushing, trying to hold me back. The fog was thicker here, and I, I couldn't see the house. My house. I had visited my great-uncle here once, many years ago, but no one knew about it now. No one except the lawyer in Boston who had traced me, and he had died a year ago. Suddenly, the fog thinned, and I saw my house. It stood square and bleak on the rocky land, a hundred yards ahead. A gray, lonely house, weather-beaten and neglected. There were no trees, nothing to break the emptiness of the land. I put my car in the garage and went into the house. Inside, it was plain, almost bare, but clean and weather-tight against the wind. Wind. Did it ever stop? The wind and the fog. I'd be glad when I was finished and could leave this place. There was a note from the tenants telling me the telephone was connected and that my number was ring two. They added the name of a man to call for ice and coal, but there was cordwood outside and I had food to last a week. I wouldn't have to call anyone, and it was a cinch no one would call me. I, I won't answer it. No one knows I'm here. Mrs. Poe. Hello? Yes. Oh, well, I'm home, and so are you. That's nice. 
Are you comfortable? Uh, very, thank you. Well, if you're sure. Now, if anything goes wrong, if you need anyone, you just call me. I won't need anything, Mrs. Poe. I hope so, Mr. Burke. But I have a feeling about that house. Well, you're not alone, Mr. Burke. You have a neighbor. A neighbor. A meddling, eccentric old woman. I had to be careful, not give her anything to gossip about in the village. Mrs. Poe could be a very dangerous nuisance. Well, I won't let her be. I'm a thief, but if necessary, I'm capable of murder. I'm not going to let anyone stop me now. This project's been too successful to be lost up by an old biddy with second sight. I went back to the car and carried the cartons of food into the house. Then I opened the trunk and took out the box. It was quite ordinary looking, the kind of steel box you buy for storing important papers. I locked the garage doors and went into the house, put the box on the kitchen table and opened it. The diamonds. They caught the light and reflected it a hundred times, shining and glinting in that cold, empty room. <laughs> After two years of waiting and planning, I had them. I was rich and free. Free of my dull, respectable job and my dull, respectable employer. Quiet, cautious Mr. Radcliffe. What would he do without me? What would he do without his diamonds? All he could do was tell the police and insurance people about Joseph Dunlop, a man they would never find. I even felt a little sorry for Mr. Radcliffe. He had trusted me so much. And now... Well, he had his insurance. He could buy more diamonds. I spent some time getting the place settled. In case anyone should come to the house, it would look like I was planning to stay. Once, I went outside to look over my property. The wind was getting stronger, blowing the fog into the dawn, and the smell of the ocean was clean and fresh. I could see Mrs. Poe's house a few hundred yards away on lower ground. She was standing on the porch of her house, and she waved to me. I didn't wave back. I went inside and had some breakfast, then slept for a few hours. At last, I started to work. The unset stones I put in a soft leather bag in my pocket, and then I started breaking up the set pieces. I cut the links off the jewelry and gently pried the stones from their settings. Then I hammered the metal out of shape. I worked slowly, carefully, keeping the bits of gold and platinum in a neat pile on the table and laying the diamonds out in a row. Oh, they were magnificent stones. I had chosen well. It was beginning to get dark when I finished. I looked at my watch, almost five o'clock. But one more part of my plan was completed. I gathered up the diamonds and put them in the leather bag with the uncut stones. Then I scraped up the bits of metal and put them in the steel box with my jewelry tools. Now I had to get rid of the box. That woman, that crying old woman. Hello. Mr. Bird. Yes. This is your neighbor. This is Mrs. Poe. Well, what is it, Mrs. Poe? I'm coming over, Mr. Bird, for a little visit. No. Well, that is not now, Mrs. Poe. I, I I, was just going to rest for a while. I'm very tired. Oh, of course. You drove all last night, didn't you? You must have been in a hurry. Is everything all right? Yes, yes. Everything is all right. Evil comes to him who 
that. Goodbye, Mr. Bird. In a moment, we continue with... Mrs. Poe. No, no, I can't let her upset me. She doesn't know anything. She's harmless. I must go on with my plan. I had to hide the steel box where it would never be found. Someplace. The sea. I'll throw it into the sea. I put on my coat, picked up the box, and went outside. I looked over toward Mrs. Poe's house. Was she watching me, staring out from the darkened windows? She wants to know, I'll tell her. I'll tell her I decided to go for a walk to make me sleepier. I started across the barren, rutted yard. Then I turned off toward the protection of a shallow draw on the far side of the house. I could follow the draw to the cliff hidden from Miss Poe. It was hard walking across the fields. The wild grass whipped against my legs and tangled my feet. The cold wind rushed against me, making every step more and more difficult until at last I reached the edge of the cliff and looked down at the sea more than a hundred feet below. No. No, it wouldn't work. Below me were huge rocks, boulders piled high against the foot of the cliff and stretching out to sea. I couldn't drop the box here. It'd land on the rocks to be found and reported. I had to hide it somewhere else. But where? I had no tools to bury it. It wouldn't burn. If I hid it in the house, Mrs. Poe or some other busybody might find it after I'd gone. I turned and looked behind me. I could see the top of my house in the distance and the smoke from Mrs. Poe's chimney. Again, I looked down at the rocks below me, and then the earth under my foot gave way. I slipped forward, struggling to throw myself back. I fell, sliding toward the edge. I clutched, tore at the grass. I, I grabbed a rock half buried in the ground and just hung there. I was half over the edge of the cliff, lying on my face, clinging desperately to the rock. Then I inched my way forward, away from the edge, crawling carefully forward until I was back on firm ground. I lay there, shaking, my face buried in the grass. And slowly, I got to my feet. The box, I dropped it. I got down on my hands and knees and crawled toward the edge again. And I saw the box. It was lying in the grass close to where I'd fallen. I reached out and grabbed it, dragged it back to me. I got to my feet and stumbled away toward my house. As I made my way back along the draw, I tried desperately to think of a place to hide the box, hide it where it could never be, never be found. I wanted nothing to connect this house with the man I had been in New York. Then I saw the well. It was off beyond the drawer. I, I pushed through the grass that was almost waist high, laid aside the steel box and dropped to my knees beside the well. The top of it was almost even with the ground and covered with wide wooden boards. The few stones that had once been around the top had fallen away. I, I lifted one of the boards from the top and threw it aside. Then another, 
and another. And finally, the last flat heavy board was off. The well was about five feet across the top, lined with damp, slippery stones. I picked up a rock and held it over the top of the well and dropped it. The well was old, abandoned, and the water at the bottom was deep. A perfect place for the box. For a moment, I knelt there, staring at the damp rocks, wondering who had put them there, how long ago. What had Mrs. Poe said? Everything has been planned for us, and the well was here for me to find. I turned and reached for the box. Huh? Mrs. Poe. But where? I I can't see her. I got to my feet and stumbled away from the well. I couldn't let her find me here. I got to the drawer and started running back to the house, and suddenly I saw Mrs. Poe coming toward me. Oh, Mr. Burton. Oh, I'm so glad. Are you all right? Yes, yes, sir. You seem quite out of breath, and I can't hear you in this wind. Mrs. Poe took off her scarf, and we started back to the house. I... I heard you calling. I, I thought something was wrong. You shouldn't be out, Mr. Burton. It's almost dark. I went for a walk to the cliff uh, to make me sleepy. Oh, Mr. Burton. Oh, I knew there was a danger. I tried to telephone you, and when you didn't answer, I was worried. That cliff, that cliff isn't safe. I should have warned you. It's always falling away. Mr. Bird, you're covered with dirt. You fell. I fell, Mrs. Bird. The air's full of danger. Full of implications. If you'll excuse me, Mrs. Paul, I'm going inside now. You've had a shock. Good evening, Mrs. Poe. May I please come in just what? for a moment? I must talk with you, Mr. Burke. Mrs. Poe, I, I realize you feel alarmed. No. Something else. I see a moment, and it's so important. I went across the porch and held the door open for her. She went into the hall. Suddenly she stopped and turned to me. <gasps> huh? This house. Something. Something. Mr. Bird, I want you to get out of this house. Go to the village or come to my place. But leave here. Forces are at work, Mr. Bert. It's not safe. I understand your belief in premonitions, Mrs. Poe, but I don't agree with you. You must, and there's a storm coming. Leave before the storm, Mr. Bert. Why do you want me out of this house, Mrs. Poe? What is it you want here? Oh, if I could only see the danger. Oh, I've tried, but I can't see it. Wrong, wrong. The vibrations are all wrong today. Get out, Mr. Burt. You'll have no other chance. I watched her from the window as she started towards her house, leaning against the wind, tying that heavy woolen scarf tight under her chin. Had she seen me at the well? Or had she seen me leave and then come over and searched my house? Mrs. Poe was interfering with my plans. Why? She couldn't know about the jewelry. She knew about the trailing and the road. What was she after, hounding me, watching every move I made? Whatever her game is, she won't interfere with my plans. I can put a stop to Mrs. Poe as soon as I've gone back to the well and disposed of the box. I'd left it behind at the well. What if she finds it? No, no, not on a night like this. Her, her rude home is nowhere near the well, and with a storm coming, she won't be out again in this weather. I should go back now. Wind. 
wind. It never stops. And it's pitch dark outside. I, I can wait until morning. I fixed some dinner and ate quickly. After dinner, I lighted the living room fire and sat listening to the storm outside. I touched the pocket of my jacket, felt the leather bag full of the diamonds I'd stolen. I was warm and safe in my house. The storm grew wilder and wilder. The rain struck the house heavily, hammered against the windows and walls. I built up the fire and sat close to it. Somewhere a screen door slammed back and forth in the wind. But I wouldn't leave the bright warm fire to fix it. Oh, this is all I, I won't answer. Let her think the lines are down. No, no, she asked the operator, and the operator would know the lines are working. Why won't she leave me alone? Yes, Mrs. Paul. Mr. Grant, I'm almost frantic. I'm coming over there. No. I'll be quite all right. I have my flashlight. What do you want, Mrs. Paul? What are you after, spying on me? Your fears. I saw your fears. Huh? It came to me at last. Something is wrong. Someone is lost in the sea. Stay away from here. Do you hear me? I'm leaving at once. Don't worry. I have my flashlight. Someone needs my help. I'll stop she won't go into the field. The box is there, and I can't let her find it. She must know. She must realize it's there. She watched me this afternoon, and this is her ghastly way of telling me she knows. I'll stop. That heavy scarf she always wears, always knotted tightly under her chin. They'll think when they find her that poor old Mrs. Poe had fallen in the dark, and her own scarf choked her to death. Oh, no, Mrs. Poe, you won't spoil my plans. I started across the yard. In the distance, I could see the beam of Mrs. Poe's flashlight. She must be running. Along a path I hadn't seen. The path had cut me off from the place where I'd left the box. I ran, too. Stumbling and sliding, I ran to the drawer and started along it toward the box. The rain and wind were driving into my face, almost blinding me. I had to find the box. I had to. I didn't want to kill Mrs. Poe. If I could get there before she did... It's almost there. I can see the beam of Mrs. Poe's flashlight growing larger, coming at me. I turned away from the light, dashed forward into the tall, wild grass. I remembered just where the box was hidden, off to the left of the boards I had lifted off the... Ah, the well! I, I tripped! I fell! I'm falling into the well! Clutch at the wet stones. At last, I broke my fall. I dared not move. The fingers held... Desperately, the wet, slippery stones. My legs were doubled behind me, pressed against the far side of the well as though I were kneeling in midair. Then I heard a splash. I knew it was the bag of diamonds that had dropped from my jacket pocket. It didn't matter now. All that mattered now was getting out of the well. Surely Mrs. Poe would find me soon. Soon before my fingers lost their grip. Where was she? I, I moved my head carefully, slowly, looked over my shoulder at the top of the well. It was about five feet above me. Mrs. Poe will see me. She'll hear me if I yell. Wait. Wait now. Wait until the flashlight shines up there. Until she's close enough to hear. There it is. I, I see her light. She, she's coming toward the well. The light's going brighter. A few more feet... What is she waiting for? 
Hurry, I'm slipping. The light's moving away. I know. I know. She she set the flashlight on the ground. Yes, yes. I, I see her shadow across the beam. She's coming toward the edge now. Mrs. Poe! Mrs. Poe! My hands are slipping. I, I can't hold on to the rocks. Mrs. Poe! Why doesn't she hear? What? The light. There's something, something moving across the light. There's something at the edge of the well. A board. She's found the board. She's covering the well. No! Mrs. Poe! Oh, why can't she hear me? That scarf around her head, around her ears, shutting out the wind. She can't hear. She'll never hear me. And my, my hands are, are slipping, slipping. Please, please hear me. This is Paul. This is Suspense, in which Mr. Jeff Chandler starred in William N. Robeson's production of A Good Neighbor, a first radio play by David Reel. Mr. Chandler was supported by Virginia Gregg as Mrs. Poe. Listen. Listen again next week when we return with another tale well calculated to keep you in... Suspense. Hi, everyone. The holiday season is upon us, and I'll be glued to the telly for BritBox on many a night. I've already shared with you the fact that I keep up with Father Brown and Poirot at BritBox. I also check out their new stuff, like the new series Archie, which tells the story of Archie Leach, otherwise known to millions of filmgoers as Cary Grant. This story comes from his daughter Jennifer Grant and ex-wife Diane Cannon. It's a series. The performance of Jason Isaacs, who plays Cary Grant, is top-notch. I highly recommend it. You can only find it on my favorite TV, BritBox. Sign up to BritBox today to stream Archie and other fan favorites today from any device. I have a special limited-time offer for my U.S. and Canadian listeners. Get 50% off your first month when you sign up for a monthly plan, but only if you go to BritBox.com and use my promo code 1001STORIES at checkout. Don't wait. Get 50% off your first month. Just use promo code 1001STORIES at BritBox.com. Try it. You'll like it. You've worked hard for what you have, your money, your assets, your 401k, and home. Isn't it all worth protecting? Nearly one in four consumers have been a victim of identity theft. LifeLock Ultimate Plus helps protect your finances with up to $3 million in reimbursement. LifeLock alerts you to identity threats you might miss. And if your identity is stolen, your dedicated U.S.-based restoration specialist will work to fix it. Let LifeLock help protect what you've worked so hard for. Save 25% off your first year on LifeLock Ultimate Plus at LifeLock.com aware. Terms apply. Suspense. 
and the producer of radio's outstanding theater of thrills, William N. Robeson. The story you're about to hear is unique. It is horrible. It is filled with terror. And it may or may not be true. In any case, every time a World's Fair is held in Paris, it reappears in the papers and magazines around the globe as a news story and travels by word of mouth to the ends of the earth as a true story. True or false, heard for the first time or twice told, we believe this great classic of terror will keep you in suspense. Listen then as Miss Vanessa Brown stars in The Vanishing Lady, which begins exactly one minute from now. Sometimes a man can have too high an opinion of himself. Sometimes that opinion can drive him to great deeds. Here now is one of America's legendary heroes to tell you of some of his unique characteristics. If his adjectives seem a bit outlandish, remember that his image was an inspiration to a pioneering people, and he still affects a nation addicted to TV. I'm that same David Crockett, fresh from the backwoods, half horse, half alligator, a lethal test with the snapping turtle, can wade the Mississippi, leap the Ohio, ride upon a streak of lightning, and slip without a scratch down a honey locust, can whip my weight in wildcats, and if a gentleman pleases for a ten dollar bill, he may throw in a panther. I can hug a bear too close for comfort and beat any man opposed to Jackson. <laughs> Folklore belongs to every nation's legendary past. And I guess we Americans have our share of some tall ones. The story you are about to hear first appeared in the pages of the Detroit Free Press in the summer of 1889, at the time the Paris World's Fair was celebrating the 100th anniversary of the fall of the Bastille and the beginning of the French Revolution. It reappeared in the London Daily Mail in 1911. Two years later, Mrs. Bellock Lounge used it as the basis of her novel, The End of Her Honeymoon. And sometime after that, it became the storyline of another novel, She Who Was Helena Cass, by Lawrence Rising. As recently as 1951, it cropped up again as a British motion picture, So Long at the Fair. It is a hardy tale, a sort of modern folk tale. It has never been proved. It has never been disproved. And one can only wonder if in the dread secret archives of the police judiciaire in Paris, the real facts are recorded in fading ink on yellowing paper, locked forever from a curious and intrigued world. No one knows. Perhaps no one ever will know. But we can guess. And this, we guess, is what might have happened to lovely young Cynthia Winship and her mother as they arrived at the Hotel Creon one beautiful summer day, the day the great Paris World's Fair opened. Bonjour, madame. Puis-je vous aider? I... I don't understand French. Is there anyone here who speaks English? Mais bien sûr, madame. What can I do for you? Oh, well, my daughter and I have just arrived from Marseille. We're on our way home from India. And we... Oh, I am afraid, madame. We cannot accommodate you. Oh, but you must. I'm not feeling tall well. And I telegraphed ahead for a reservation. Ah, ça différent. The name, please. Oh, Winship. Mrs. Winship and daughter. Mrs. Winship. Ah, yes. And it is indeed most fortunate you did telegraph, madame. For you, I have reserved the last room in the hotel. Oh, I'm so relieved. Would you be so kind as to register? Uh, yes, of course. Here, Cynthia, my dear. You might well learn how to do this for yourself. Yes, mama. Where do I write? There. In that line. Oh, I see. Voila. 
You are fatigued from your journey, yes? I shall have the boy show you to your rooms at once. Chasseur! Chasseur! Uh, oui, monsieur. Madame et mademoiselle Winship à numéro 342, tout de suite. Tout de suite, monsieur. Uh, these are your baggage, madame? Yes. These six. Uh, voilà le bagage. Six pièces. Viens, uh, yeah. uh, this way. Keep your eye on that porter, sincere. Don't trust these Frenchmen. Uh, I don't think you'll make off without things, maman. <laughs> Oh, what a lovely big room. Look, and the park out there. Oh, that square with the statues in it. Uh, the ladies desire quelque chose encore? No, thank you. Here. Oh, merci, madame. Uh, thank you, ladies. Oh, mama, it's like something out of a book. Yes, my dear, that's just the trouble with Paris. On the surface, it's so attractive. Underneath its evil. The furniture. The gilt clock. All this lovely marble table. Oh, Mama, everything is so French. I'll be very glad to be where everything's so English by this time tomorrow. Now come away from that window and help me get him to something comfortable, there's a dear. Yes, Mama. I don't know when I've been so tired. I just can't seem to catch my... Oh. Mama! Mama, what's the matter? Mama, Mama, speak to me. Here. Here, I'll get you up in the bed. There. And I was in your corset. Here, here, Mama. Here, here are the smelling salts. Now breathe deeply, Mama. Mama! The telephone. I've got to get a doctor. Hello, Likud. Hello. Hello, operator. Will you please send a doctor up to room number... No, let's see. N number 342. Pardon? Will you please send a doctor to room number 342? A doctor. A doctor. Oh, oui, a doctor. Oui, long, although it seemed like an eternity before the doctor arrived, accompanied by the manager of the hotel. To my great relief, the doctor spoke English. He felt mother's pulse, took her temperature, and did the usual things doctors do, and then he turned to the hotel manager. A jeune femme. A-t-elle pensé? Pas un mot. Vous en êtes sûr? Absolument. Alors je peux parler à mon aise. Monsieur, ceci c'est une affaire très sérieuse. N'ayez pas un air effrayé lorsque je vous mettrai au courant. Entendu, cette femme était de la peste. While they talked in this language and I couldn't understand, I looked from one face to the other, trying to read from their expression how serious my mother's illness was. They were as casual as, as though they were ordering dinner. Finally, I could stand it no longer. They must... You must... You must tell me what is the matter with my mother. Mademoiselle... Your mother is ill. Yes, uh, seriously ill. It is a collapse uh, due perhaps oh. to the strain of traveling. However, a week or two of absolute rest and a she A will... week or two? Oh, no, but we're going on to England tomorrow. That would be out of the question. She cannot be moved for at least uh, several days. The next 24 hours will be critical. Uh, oh, Mama. Oh, oh, my 
Mademoiselle, mademoiselle, you must not break down too. I need your help. Yes. Yes, doctor. Immediately. I need some medicine. Will you fetch it for me? Oh, but... I but must doctor. not leave your mother for a moment during these critical hours. Here. I will write down this address and a little message to my wife. Your wife? Yes. I have the medicine already prepared at my own. It will be much faster to go there for it than to a pharmacy. There are very few chemists who have the uh, ingredients. But couldn't you telephone? Yes, mademoiselle, I have no telephone. A, a messenger, perhaps. Uh, mademoiselle does not know Paris, en fait. With the exposition opening, nowhere can you find a reliable messenger. They are all selling souvenirs. No, mademoiselle will accomplish the errand more rapidly herself. Here is the address, mademoiselle. 24 bis rue Val de Grasse. And here is the message to give to my wife. But, but I don't know Paris at all. I'm a total stranger. I am sure the manager here will give the necessary instructions to the coachman. But certainly, if mademoiselle is ready. Before I, I quite knew what was happening, I was seated in a rickety carriage outside the hotel with the doctor's message clutched in my hand while the hotel manager gave valuable directions to the coachman. It is arranged, mademoiselle. Jacques is one of our most trusted coachmen. He will get you to the doctor's house and back in safety. Thank you so much, sir. And you'll look after my mother, won't you? But of course. Of that you may be sure. Au revoir, mademoiselle. Allons-y, bébé. I felt completely helpless. Alone in the foreign city where no landmark was familiar and the language had gibberish to my ears. In the charge of an evil-looking coachman driving an ancient carriage at snail's pace, up and down endless wide boulevards, across traffic-choked squares, knowing that my mother's life might well depend on the speed with which I accomplished my errand. Driver, can't you go any faster? This is a matter of life or death. When we left the hotel, we had crossed a huge square with statues around it and turned into a wide avenue which led up a gentle incline at the top of which was a huge arch. But before long, we turned off into narrower streets. It must have been 20 minutes later when we turned into another wide boulevard and I saw another huge arch up ahead. Or was it the same arch? Coachman! Hey, mademoiselle. Haven't we passed that arch before? Oh, regardez, mademoiselle. Voilà l'arc de triomphe. Et le voilà la tour I don't want to... Look, I, voilà. I don't want to fight things, for. I want to go to this address directly. Don't you understand? Now, please, take me there at once. On fait ce qu'on peut, mademoiselle. Soyez tranquille. Paris est une, une grande ville. We turned into a narrow street and pulled up before a grim, gray house. The blue normal sign on the wall read 24 Beast. I jumped out of the cab almost before it stopped, rushed up the three stone steps and pulled at the bell knob. Oh, hurry, hurry, hurry. Bonjour, mademoiselle. The doctor sent me for some medicine. Monsieur le docteur n'est pas ici. Here, here, read this. 
Retenez cette jeune femme aussi longtemps que possible. C'est de la plus haute importance pour l'avenir de Paris et même de la France. Entrez, mademoiselle. Thank you. Quand vous ne pourriez plus la faire attendre, donnez-lui une bouteille de pastilles inoffensives. Je vous en prie. The doctor was stood there reading and re-reading. The note as though she didn't understand it until I thought I would scream. Please, please hurry. Get me the medicine. Look, it's my mother. She, she may be dying. I must get back to her. Please hurry. Asseyez-vous, mademoiselle. She pointed to a chair. Attendez. Slowly walked down the hall and closed the door behind her. I waited and waited. And I began to wonder. I wondered about the time the cab had taken to get here. About that arch that looked so familiar. And I was torn by the hundred nameless anxieties that torture you when your nearest and dearest are ill. And then I heard something that froze my blood. A telephone. A telephone. Clearly ringing somewhere in the house. Now, the doctor had said he had no telephone. That was the reason why I must come all this way for the medicine. Oh... Oh, no, no, it couldn't be in this house. It must be next door or across the street, of course. Of course, that was where the sound was coming from. <laughs> no. It was the voice of the doctor's wife answering the phone. Oh, no, no. What monstrous plot was this? I felt my scalp crawl with terror. My brain pounded. My head felt as though it would burst. I wanted to scream. To run out of this awful house. To run all the way across Paris to the bedside of my mother. Voilà, mademoiselle. La médecine. Thank you. Thank you. Now, driver, please. Please, in the name of your own mother, hurry. Back to the hotel as fast as possible, please. On fait ce qu'on peut, mademoiselle. Allons-y, bébé, We continue with Do you know the Social Security benefits to which you will be entitled when you separate from the service and take a civilian job? Here's a tip from Social Security. Roger Clark had a Social Security card, sure enough. But Roger lost it. It's not important, said Roger. I don't need the card. I'll never forget that Social Security number as long as I live. So, as Roger worked here and there, he rattled off his number incorrectly. And there was all kinds of trouble getting things straightened out so Roger's earnings could get on his Social Security account. Don't be like Roger. If you have lost your card, write to Social Security, Department 15, Hollywood 28, California, and ask for Form SS5 to replace your lost Social Security card. And now... We continue with The Vanishing Lady, starring Miss Vanessa Brown. A tale well calculated to keep you in... Suspense. I pleaded with the coachman. I begged him to hurry. I explained to him in tears that my mother was desperately ill. But the carriage never increased its speed. We crept across Paris just as slowly as we had come, and I was sure that I saw that same white arch three times. But at last, we crossed the great square with the statues in it, and I knew we were close to the hotel. 
Oh, please, please hurry. Just beyond the great square, we turned up a narrow street, which shortly entered a wide circle, in the middle of which was a tall, slender monument. The driver swung around the monument and pulled up before the entrance of the hotel. Yeah, what happened, I jumped out of the cabin and I saw the sign over the hotel entrance. It said, Hotel Ritz. Driver, you've taken me to the wrong hotel. Yeah. I'm no, staying no, at the Hotel Creole. Look, I don't understand what you're saying, but I want you to take me to the Hotel Creole. You stupid man. Can't you understand? My mother's sick. You've taken more than two hours to get me to that doctor's house and back. Can't you understand? I looked around me. A small group of passers-by had stopped and were listening curiously to the argument. And then they joined in, taking sides. Everywhere I looked were foreign faces, strangers, enemies. And then, shouldering through the crowd, I saw a young man in tweed with a pipe clamped in his teeth. And before he had a chance to speak, I knew help had come. I say, are you having some trouble? Oh, thank heavens in English. Hmm. Yes, that's right. Now, what seems to be the matter? I told him as rapidly as I could. He paid the mulish cab driver, popped me into another cab, and five minutes later we walked into the lobby of the Hotel Creole. The manager was behind the desk. My mother, is she all right? I beg your pardon? My mother, Mrs. Winship, in 342, is she all right? There is no Madame Winship in 342. What? The 342 is occupied by Monsieur Auguste Noir, a permanent guest. Oh, no, no. No, you don't understand that. I'm Cynthia Winship, don't you remember? Two hours ago, you put me into a carriage to go to the doctor's house for some medicine for my mother. I am afraid Mademoiselle is mistaken. I have never seen her before in my life. I say, look here, what is this? I swear to you, it is as I say. We signed the register less than three hours ago. We got in on the train from Marseille. Right, well, we'll have a look at the register. Yes, I'll show you. I'm in 342. Uh, Where's the register? It is here, Mademoiselle. You may see for yourself. See, today is day 13 guests registered, but I do not see any Mademoiselle or Madame Winship. Do you? No. Well, perhaps Mademoiselle is mistaken. Perhaps she is registered at some no. other hotel. No, no, this is the hotel, the Creole. You were standing there when we arrived. You came to the room with the doctor. You put me in a carriage. But I assure you, Mademoiselle, these are fantasies. Oh, now, wait, wait. What is it? <laughs> the bellboy there, he carried our baggage. He'll remember. Uh, uh, Gaston. Yes, uh, Do you recall carrying this young lady's luggage up to room 342 this afternoon? <clears throat> no, monsieur. But you were. There were six pieces. Don't you remember? Uh, no, Mademoiselle. He says he never saw you in his life before. But this is monstrous, and it's impossible. My mother is somewhere in this hotel. What have you done with her? What have you done with her? Well, now, how do you feel, Miss Winship? Oh, better, thank you. The soup was very nourishing. Well, won't you have something else? A salad, a little roast? No, no, thank you. Just a cup of tea, please. Oh, certainly. Garçon? Yes? Dr. Tape or mademoiselle? Tout de suite, monsieur. I don't know how to thank you, mister. Oh, do you realize I don't even know your name? Oh, <laughs> well, it's Stanley. Bruce Stanley. I'm, I'm glad to meet you, Mr. Stanley. Well, it's a pleasure. 
Mr. Stanley, you believe me, don't you? Of course I do, Miss Winship. We did register at that hotel. We were in room 342. Well, I can even describe the furnishings. There was a big window that went from the floor to the ceiling. Well, I'm afraid every hotel room in Paris has windows like that. No. Really? Yeah. Well, well, in this room, the drapes were plum-colored, and there was a marble top table. Black marble, it was, and a gilt clock. It had run down. The hands had stopped, I remember, at 20 minutes past three. The walls were covered in rose brocade, and the bedspread was a washed-out yellow. If I could get into that room, you would see that I'm not making this up. No, I'm sure you aren't. Perhaps I can find a way to make them let you in the room. Oh, can you? Yes, I, I'm with the embassy, you know, undersecretary sort of thing. I believe that the British Empire has enough influence to change the mind of an obstinate Paris innkeeper. Oh, then, then let's do it right away. Well, uh, I don't think that the might of Britain can move quite that fast. It's past dinner time, you know, but uh, tomorrow we'll see. I can't wait until tomorrow. Well, I, I'm afraid you'll have to. We, we can do nothing with the people at the hotel. You saw that. Uh, we'll just have to be patient until tomorrow. I'll get a room for you tonight in the pension near the embassy. You are very kind, Mr. Tennant. Oh, no. Oh. What is it? I, I just thought of something. The doctor. The doctor? Yes. Yes, the one the hotel manager brought in to look after my mother. I still have his address somewhere here in my purse. Ah. Here, here it is. Now, we must go there immediately. He can tell us about my mother. Mm-hmm. 24 bis Rival de Grasse. That's not far. It's just up the Boulevard Raspail, near Gare Montparnasse. How long would it take to get there? Oh, about 20 minutes. 20? 20 minutes. It took over an hour this afternoon. Oh, voilà, monsieur, 24 bis Rival de Grasse. Well, here we are. Yes. Yes, this is the place. Attendez une minute. D'accord. The house is dark. Well, it is quite late. I don't care. We've got to find out tonight. Get en bas. Where is he? Oh, he's there at the upstairs window. Uh, Monsieur le docteur, c'est Mademoiselle Winship. Elle veut vous questionner de sa mère. He says he doesn't know you. Oh, but he must. He must. Doctor, don't you remember this afternoon? You sent me here to your house for medicine for my mother. He says he doesn't understand English. Oh, the liar. The liar. He does. He speaks perfect English. I'm sorry, Cynthia. Oh, Bruce. Bruce, what am I going to do? What am I going to do? If it hadn't been for Bruce, I'm certain I should have gone out of my mind. He found a home for me at the pension near the embassy, where I spent a sleepless night. I tossed and I turned and I worried myself into an agony almost beyond endurance. Where was my mother? What had they done to her? for me at half past ten the next morning and took me back to the hotel. To my surprise, the attitude of the manager had changed completely. But of course, mademoiselle may inspect room 342. 
We are only too glad to convince Mademoiselle that her mother is not and never was in the Hotel Corillon. I personally will escort you to the room. Uh, this way, please, to the ascenseur. Oh, but that terrible man, that horrible... Now, now, Cynthia, don't worry. We'll get to the bottom of this. Monsieur, Madame. Now, remember, Bruce, what I told you last night. We'll see. Plum-colored drapes. Black marble top table. Rose walls. And a gilt clock with the hands stopped at 20 minutes past three. You'll see. Yes, Cynthia. Voila, le troisième étage. This way. It was room 342. You wish to see, mademoiselle? Yes, that's right. Third door to the right. So, here we are. You see, Bruce, I know where it is. Yes, my dear. Voila. Enter, please. Now, Bruce, you'll see the yellow bedspread. Oh. Oh, no. Not quite the room you just described in the elevator, mademoiselle. The drapes are royal blue. No. A little dusty, I feel. I must have this room renovated. There is no marble top table. No. The clock, as you notice, is running. No. And right on time, it seems. The walls are not rose brocade, but yellow flowered no. paper. No. No, my dear mademoiselle. You see how thoroughly mistaken you are. No, no, no! Well, that's the story as it may have happened. The lady, Mrs. Winship, had vanished, the room completely redecorated overnight. A gigantic conspiracy of silence, so cruel as to cause a young girl to take leave of her senses. But the stakes were higher than the sanity of a pretty English tourist. Mrs. Winship was suffering from bubonic plague, which she had caught before leaving India. The doctor had recognized the symptoms at once, recognized, too, that she had no more than an hour to live. He had purposely sent Cynthia on a fool's errand. The hotel manager was in on the conspiracy, and the cab driver, and soon the British embassy, the Quai d'Orsay, and the police judiciaire. For had it become known that there was a case of bubonic plague in Paris, the city would have been emptied of visitors. The World's Fair would have been a failure. The French franc would have fallen, and the very stability of the pound sterling would have been threatened. That's the whole story. Some years ago, Alexander Wolcott tracked down the man who first reported it in the Detroit Free Press in 1889 and asked him whether he had invented it or had heard it somewhere in his travels. And the Detroit reporter replied that he could not remember which, as far as Mr. Wolcott was concerned, left the question still open. For, as he wryly observed, he doubted if any man could have invented a tale like the vanishing lady and then forgot that he had done so. What do you think? Alexander Wolcott's version of the legend and adapted for radio by Mr. Robson. Listen. Listen again next week when we bring you another tale well calculated to keep you in suspense. Supporting Miss Brown and the Vanishing Lady were Diana Bourbon, Virginia Gregg, Ben Wright, Ramsey Hill, John Daner, and Edgar Barrier. <laughs> 
Pulling up to Mickey D's just for drinks? Oh yeah, that's me. Nothing extra, just perfection and a straw. Coming in hot for the coldest cups on the block. Because there are drinks. Then there are drinks from McDonald's. Mix things up with any size lemonade or sweet tea for $1.49. Perfect with our classic fries. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba.